We are in the final stretch of our winter series in the book of Exodus. We've, we, if, you, if you remember, we started the book of Exodus in the second week of June, just after our anniversary, June, July, August. And one of the best things about doing a winter series, and one of the best things about as the series comes to an end it means that winter is also coming to an end as well. And so for people like myself who don't like winter, who, who, who more like summer, it is a very good time. But for those that like winter, oh well, what can you do? Um, next week, our pastor, our associate pastor May, she's going to be coming up and closing off the whole series of Exodus, which is quite a big job. Um, I'm really grateful that she's going to be coming doing that. And then the first Sunday of September, the first Sunday of spring, which is Father's Day, um, my wife Mel is going to be coming and preaching um, on that Sunday. So some really exciting things to look forward to coming up. And so keep them in your diary. Tonight, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a wrap-up of Exodus, but we're going to do it through the lens of the life of Moses. Now, if you remember, Moses was kind of the main character of this book, right? Moses was uh, the son of a slave. And at the time, if you remember, all the Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt. And Moses was born at a time where the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had declared a decree that all Israelite newborn boys were to be what? To be thrown into the Nile River in an act of genocide. That's when Moses was born. This was the way that the Pharaoh was going to control and oppress the Israelites in Egypt. Now, Moses' mother, if you remember, hides the baby, has, has baby, but hides it for three months. But because the baby becomes too big and too loud, then does what? Puts the baby in a basket and puts it into the Nile River as commanded by Pharaoh and lets the baby go. Remember, if you, if you track back to the, that story, we see Moses in the basket being cute but you've got to understand that basket is pretty much a coffin. That's the impact of what uh, the situation Moses was in. And Moses' mom sends him off to a pretty much certain death. And yet, when we continue to read the story, we see that Moses was rescued out of the river. By who? By the daughter of Pharaoh. By the princess of Egypt. What are the odds? Right? Remember that sermon? Like the chances of all of this happening, like domino, is crazy. And that's how we recognize that this is the way of God. And she sees this baby boy, and she could have just ignored it. She could have just let it go, but chooses to rescue that baby boy out of the river, take him as her own son. And Moses grows up as Egyptian royalty becomes the prince of Egypt. Now, life goes on. Moses is 40 years old, right? Not You've got to understand, three-month-old baby and then 40, right? 39 years have passed where we find Moses, he ends up murdering an Egyptian guard 
and has to flee Egypt into the desert because he's being pursued. Now, Moses spends the next 40 years in the desert. Now, we don't hear too much about what Moses did in those 40 years except for two main things. One is that he got married. And secondly, uh, he became a shepherd. So his occupation was to look after a flock of sheep. But at the end of that 40-year period, now when he's 80 years old, right? At 80 years old, he has this supernatural encounter with God through the burning bush. And that's where God calls Moses and says, go back to Egypt and I want you because I'm going to rescue my people. And so at 80 years old, he left Egypt at 40, went back at 80, goes back into Egypt with his brother Aaron and he faces off against Pharaoh. And we see the big scene of how God sends the 10 plagues that destroy the land of Egypt. And on the eve of the last plague, the plague of the firstborn, the Israelites celebrate the Passover. The Passover, and and, and they leave the nation of Egypt as an exodus. That's what the word exodus means, to go out. As they leave, they think that they're finally free. And yet, where do they find themselves? In front of the Red Sea. In front of them is a vast spanse of water. And behind them, the Egyptian army is chasing them down. And we see, once again, this amazing chapter where where God splits the Red Sea. Right, Splits the Red Sea and the Israelites walk straight through it. And as soon as the Israelites are out of the water, the Egyptian army that was chasing them find themselves stuck in that water. God puts the water back in and the whole Egyptian army is destroyed. And that's the last we hear about the Egyptians. Moses then continues to lead the the people of Israel to the promised land where they make a pit stop at Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is where God comes down and meets the people and gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments and then the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, which is the dwelling place of God. And at the end of the book of Exodus, the tabernacle is now complete and they are journeying towards the promised land. And that's the book of Exodus. That's 40 chapters in four minutes. That's pretty good. Good job, Steve. Right? That's where we find ourselves at the end of the book of Exodus. Now, as I said, I want us to look back through this book, not just through the events, but I want us to look through the life of Moses. Now, Moses' life is one crazy life, if you think about it. And I know there are people in our church that have crazy lives. You know, people that nearly died, people that should have died, people that randomly just walked past the church, some supernatural encounter and just came in and they're still here. People that got married here, people that had kids here, you know, people's lives are crazy. But you look at Moses' life, it is insane, right? Spends the first 40 years of his life in as Egyptian royalty and then spends the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in the desert. And then finally, the last 40 years of his life, he spends leading God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. There is so much drama in Moses' life 
And we see him grow through the highs and the lows. But the, the, the interesting thing about Moses' life and the story of Exodus is there's so much change. You know, royalty and then desert and then the, the fight with the Egyptians and then the, the Red Sea and then Mount Sinai. And, and so many things in Moses' life changed and it feels like there's nothing constant or consistent in his life. But actually, when we look back at his life, there are two things that I believe that we can learn from the story of Exodus through the lens of the life of Moses. Two things that I believe that we need to take on board. The first one is this, the first constant. It's the presence of God. Throughout the whole story of Exodus, the most consistent thing that we see is actually not Moses. Even Moses goes through his moments. There are moments where he's good. There are moments where he's complaining. There are moments where he's whinging to God. There are moments where he's like, I just want to die. He's actually not that consistent. He's not that stable of a guy. But God is. God was with Moses right from the beginning, even during the time of oppression and slavery, even as his mother put him in the basket down the Nile River. It was God that was there orchestrating and, 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 and putting together this wonderful plan around the life of Moses. It was God who called Moses out of the desert through the burning bush. It was God that was with Moses during the battle with Pharaoh. And at the end of the day, it was God that won that battle. It was God that split the Red Sea for the Israelites. It was God that gave the Ten Commandments to build the foundation for the nation of Israel. It was God that gave instruction on building the tabernacle as his dwelling place. And as much as we think that Moses is the central character of this book, it's actually the story of God. One of the problems that we have when we read Scripture is we make it a Korean drama about ourselves. We're very good at this, right? We do this all the time. Um. Sometimes for some of you that maybe watch too many dramas, sometimes you can even imagine slow-mo. Like things happen slowly for some reason. And sometimes you can hear imaginary music. I've heard this. I've heard people go through this, right? See, our problem is everything we do in our life, we make it that we're the central character. Everything that happens. We have this innate attitude to make it as if it's about us. Now, what's interesting is actually in real fact, not much of it is actually about you. But we're so dramatic and we're so self-centered that we can make anything about us. Um, you know, global warming is a big issue. Right, And it's a big issue that, that goes across, you know, and it's going to affect the world. It's going to affect the people. But I love people that can make global warming about themselves. Like, I'm not going to say who I was talking to, but I was talking to someone and I said, man, this winter's really cold. And he says, yeah, man, like my feet, they're really like, when I wake up in the morning, my toes are all stuck together. 
And, and I don't know, I feel like my circulation isn't really good. And I was like, and in my mind, I was like, you know, you probably need to exercise more and eat better. And, and, and he goes, yeah, global warming. I said, global? <laughs> Mate, <laughs> global warming so that your toes are cold? Like, we're so good at this, you know? You know, like, oh, you know, like, you know, let's go out and eat. Oh, man, I don't, I don't have money. You know, like I'm, I'm being really tight with my budget. Yeah, global recession. Really? You know, it's not that the global recession happened because of you or for you, but we're so good at this. But that's all we do with the Bible. We read scripture and one of the biggest mistakes we make is we make ourselves the central character of the Bible. And I'm telling you now, that is wrong. You are not the central character of the Bible. God is the central character of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God, not you. And so we need to understand that. When God called Moses through the burning bush in Exodus 3, he asked God, and we see this in Exodus 3.11, and you remember, like Moses is like, who am I? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And that's a fair question. Moses is doubting himself. You know, he, he's just a shepherd. You know, he, he, he kind of got kicked out of Egypt because he killed someone. He's like, who am I that I should go back? But what was God's response? God's response had nothing to do with Moses. God's reply was, I will be with you. I will be with you. That was the response. It was the presence of God that gave Moses the confidence and the backing to do what he needed to do. Out of Egypt, in the creation of the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, God promises in Exodus 33, 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. See, it's this, it's this amazing relationship that Moses has on behalf of God's people with God. God is promising, I will be with you. And Moses is saying, look, if you are not with me, I don't want to go. If you don't tell me to go, if you don't say I'm going to come with you, if your presence is not with me, then I'm not going. I don't want to be anywhere where your presence is not. That was how important the presence of God was for Moses. And we read towards the end, Deuteronomy 34, 7. This is when Moses is about to die. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. That is amazing. 120 years old. Yet his eyes, his health was good. And that had nothing to do with Moses and had everything to do with God. God was with, with Moses from the beginning till the very end. It was God who kept Moses alive at every junction of his life. What do we learn from this? We learn that regardless of whatever circumstance that we are in, that the presence of God is available to us. That God is with you. 
Let's say we live in one of the most interesting times in history, in our history. This pandemic, whether you believe it or not, whether you're, you know, whatever your, your view is of it or not, it has affected each and every one of us in so many different ways. The way we live, the way we work, the way we do family, the way we do friendships has changed. You know, we, God, don't we miss the days where you could just go to the shops and go to the shops? You didn't have to think about anything. You know, you could call people over for dinner. And you, you just call them. Gone are those days. This pandemic has changed the way we live our lives. We have all been impacted. And you know what? For some of us, this has brought about inconvenience. But for some of us, this has brought about stress and anxiety. For some of us, this has brought about health concern. Friends, life as we know it has changed. Yet the one thing that has not changed in all of this is the presence of God. It's that God is still here. And God is still with each and every one of us. It might be in your work. It might be in your health. It might be in your marriage. See, the reality is this. Whether it was this pandemic, whether it was financial downturn, whether it was global recession, our life is always going to be filled with different ups and downs. Like people are suddenly, like we're shocked that our lives have changed because of a pandemic. Have you ever had a kid before? You know, have you ever been married before? You know, have you ever tried to lose weight before? Your life changes. That's the one constant that we have as humans is that change is inevitable. Change happens all the times. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. That is the reality of our lives. But the one thing that doesn't change is our God. See, when we put our hope and our security in ourselves or in our own lives, when it's up, you'll feel great. But when you're down, you'll feel horrible. And then you'll go up, and then you'll go down, and then you'll go up. You become schizophrenic. You become anxious. That is such a stressful way to live your life. But when we put our faith and our trust in the constant, the only constant there is in this world, and that is our God, regardless of what is happening around our circumstance or our settings, because God does not change. Because God is constant. Because God is constantly with us. We get to experience peace. That's the only way. You put your trust in anything else in this world, it will either go up or it will go down and your anxiety and stress will go with that. But our God is the same. So that's the first thing that we need to really learn from the life of Moses is that the presence of God was always with him. The second thing that we need to learn from the life of Moses in the book of Exodus is the faith of Moses, the faith of Moses. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He disregarded, uh, he re- regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the great chapter of faith. A list of men and women that displayed great faith. Now, let's start off with the word definition. What's faith? Like, let's start off with that word, faith. And let's let the, the Bible dis, uh, define it. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Okay, let me read that again. Faith is what? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is another word for belief. Belief is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Can you have faith in something you can see? Not really. You know, I see this this lectern. Do I need faith? Do I need faith to believe that it's going to hold my sermon there? No, I don't because I see it. It holds it. It's been doing it for years. Faith is all about believing in the unknown. Everything Moses did, everything Moses did in his life came out of his belief in God. This confidence in what God had promised and the assurance in the things that he did not see. Did Moses have doubts? Of course he did. Of course he did. You're trying to believe in something you can't see, something that you can't imagine. Is it natural to have doubts? Of course it is. Moses had doubts. He questioned God. God, why me? Why are you sending me? And God's reply was, I am who I am. And Moses had the faith to believe that. He had the faith to believe in the person of God, in the presence of God, and in the power of God. Everything Moses did, you've got to understand, it's both. It's the presence of God that is there. But it's the faith of the person that believes that the presence of God is there. It's twofold, right? God calls us to have faith, to believe that he is who he is. Can I tell you, the majority of spiritual conflict that you have in your life, the majority of spiritual doubt that you have in your life, The doubts that you have 
all come around this one question. Do I believe? Do I have the faith to believe that God is real? That God is who he says he is? That God is here with me? Can I tell you? Faith changes everything. Miracles don't change everything. Miracles are great. Signs are great. But it's the question of faith, whether you believe that or not. Do I really believe who God says he is? Can I tell you, faith, it changes your perspective. Faith changes your motivation. Faith changes the outcome. Faith says, I believe in a God that loves me, that fights for me and died for my sins. Faith says that that I don't have to be perfect or strong because I believe in a God who is perfect and strong. My life is not about what I can do and what I can't do, but it's about what God has done for me and continues to do for me. And it's a question of whether you believe that or not. Faith tells me that my future is not determined by the changing circumstances of this world, but is determined by the promises of God that have been given to us in his word. Faith in God. Your faith in God grounds you in a time where the whole world is spinning a lot faster than we would like. Faith gives us the peace in amongst the chaos. Faith gives us the confidence in a day where there is so much unknown. Why? Because we believe that God is with us. The presence of God is the constant factor. But you know what's not constant is our faith. You think about your journey with God. You think about the struggles you had with God. It's not that God changed. It's not like God suddenly woke up and and thought, you know, I'm just going to make this life really difficult for someone today. No, no, God is the same. It was your faith that changed. And when your faith changes, when what you believe changes, then that naturally then translates into your whole life. Moses declares, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. For Moses, he believed in God so much. He he was reliant on God and the presence of God so much for everything in his life, not just parts of his life. We're good at that. We like God in certain areas of our life. For, For Moses, it was everything. God, if you do not send us, if you do not go, then do not, do not send us. Because either I'm going to be with you or I'm going to die without you. And I wonder, and I wonder for each and every one of us today, 
I wonder whether you think like that, or whether you feel like that, or whether you live like that. See, the reality for most of us is that God is still not the main driver of your life. You are. What we do, we drive our lives. And when we get in trouble, that's when we're like, duck, 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 God, we need your help. We need your presence. Come and help us. That's how we treat God. We're not treating God as if he's the, the creator of the universe. We're just treating God like a, a medical aid officer, a vending machine. Oh, God, I'm so hungry. I would really like some food today. I'm going to come to you because I have a need. That's not how faith works. No, no, sorry. I apologize. That is exactly how faith works. But what you're saying is you believe in a God that is pretty much as good as a vending machine. That's how low you see God. Faith, action, completely correlated. You come and live with me. I'll come and live with you for a week. And you show me your bank account. You show me your schedule. You show me who you meet. You show me who you talk to, how you talk to, and I'll tell you exactly your view of God. See, for Moses, he was like, without God, I am nothing. I can do nothing. So God, if you're not going to go, I'm not going to go. He was so dependent on God for everything in his life. But for us, not like that. So many of us, we like God. We think God's cool. We think God did some really cool things and he can continue to do some really cool things. But do we really trust God? Do we really trust God in every area of our life? And I would say that most of us, it's still hard. And that gets translated in the way we live. We drive our lives, and then when we get stuck or when we get to a crossroad, when we don't know how or where to go, that's when we're like, God. Whereas if God is the main driver in our lives, if we believe and have faith that God is who he says he is, then when you wake up, you go to God first. God, what would you like today? Where would you like me to go today? What would you like me to do today? And whatever God calls you to, that you believe that God called you with purpose and intention. And that you would have the obedience and submission to follow that. Friends, what do you think you need in your life right now the most? Friendship? Companionship? Money? Fame? Status, you think that the, the deepest desire of our heart right now is for corona to disappear? I know a lot of people are thinking that. Oh, I'm going to get back on with my life once this is over. You think that's the deepest desire of our heart? You think that if this, if this pandemic suddenly disappears, that everything in our life will be fixed, that we'll be okay? Friends, don't kid yourself. So what is it that we need the most then? Exodus tells us, Moses tells us this, gives us the answer. We need the presence of God 
in our lives every day. And we need to have the faith to believe that God is with us. Because can I tell you right now, if you believe that wholeheartedly, it's got nothing to do with how perfect your life will be. But can I tell you, if you believe that God is with you, if you truly believe, bottom of your heart, that God is with you, then you stand up, not on your own strength, but on the strength of God, and you say, God, what would you like me to do today? And then whatever God calls you to do, you obediently submit to that. And you don't care about the results, because that's all up to God. God, if you are with me today, then I do not have a worry in the world. Can you declare that? Man, that's a great day. You know how awesome that feels when you wake up and you know you got problems, you know you got stresses, you know you got things coming up, but you can stand there and go, you know what, I'm good today. Why? Because I know God is with me. That's the peace, that's the confidence, that's the assurance that faith brings to us. That's how we can get by tomorrow in this world of chaos. That's how you get through broken relationships. That's how you win over addictions. Not because of what you can do, not because how good you are, but because God is with you. So what would that look like in your life? What would that look like in your life if you were to truly believe, you know what, God is with me? Like God, the creator of the heaven and earth, was with me? How would that change the, the, the perspective you have? How would that change the outcome? How would that change the purpose and intention of your life? I tell you right now, if you truly believe that God is with you, you will live for God. But when we find ourselves not living for God, it's because our faith is still limited. And we think God only shows up on a Sunday or God only shows up when we need him. Friends, what we need in our lives is the presence of God and the faith to believe that he is with you. He is real. Would that change your life? 100%. It might not change your circumstances, but it'll change your perspective. It'll change your life. And it comes from God's presence and your faith. So I challenge you tonight. I challenge you tonight. As we look at the book of Exodus, as we look at Moses, I challenge you tonight. What would it look like for you to believe beyond the shadow of doubt that God is real and that God is with you? What would that look like for you? You know what God is saying? He's saying that's the best it's ever going to be. And he wants that life for you. He wants that life for all of us. His presence is with you. He's asking for your faith to believe that. Let's pray.